Welcome to Dr. Cindy Speaks. Regular musings and reflections on politics, current events, and life as a congressional candidate. Dr. Cindy Banyer is a mom and small business owner fighting for our water, our health, our community. She's running for the people of Southwest Florida, trying to flip Florida 19 from red to blue. Listen as she speaks truth to power and gets real about being a mom and a candidate. This is Dr. Cindy Banyer here with Dr. Cindy Speaks. I am a congressional candidate for Florida District 19. I'm a mom and small business owner, and I'm fighting for our water, our health, and our community. And it is April 22nd in the evening. I've just got all my kids to bed, and I am ready to share some thoughts with you here today. I do have uh, my campaign coordinator, Eddie, who uh, will come in and kind of join me for the conversation. Maybe I need a, a little bit of uh, support here today just because it's, uh, it's hard sometimes being a candidate, especially somebody who is a single mom with three kids who are at home all day and all night and um, also trying to run my business and wrap up the semester with my students at Florida Gulf Coast University and just get everything done. And there's been a lot going on. So I'm really happy to be here and to share my experiences with you and what it's like to be a congressional candidate here in the era of coronavirus. So big things that are going on this week. Let me just lead off with something that I've been speaking about with here on the podcast and across my social media and in the media, in the news, the regular media. And that has been my uh, ongoing discussion uh, and leadership around the bipartisan ballot requirement initiative across the state of Florida. So this initiative, just to remind you, is uh, ended up with 50 candidates, 51 candidates trying to join on to this initiative where we are banding together to bring attention to the fact that Florida has some of the highest qualification standards in the country. And uh, actually, we had uh, Jamie Cheek, who is another congressional candidate and part of the No Dumb Left Behind Coalition, who's running in Utah. She and I had a conversation around these very high standards here in the in our states and mine even being, you know, more ridiculous than hers. And that's Florida being Florida. So we'll talk about that in a little bit too. But uh, Jamie Cheek was here with us last week. And so check that out if you want to learn more in depth about it. But this candidate coalition that I've been leading started off with Democrats. And then we ended up getting uh, a lot of Republicans on board as well, who were very interested in making sure that there is voter choice and that there's fairness in the elections as us as congressional candidates in particular started to come up upon our deadlines right as the pandemic was hitting, right as we were shutting down the schools and the universities and the businesses across the state, which made it exceedingly challenging in an already complex and barrier-laden process. So we had been struggling, working together, building this coalition, sending letters to the governor, 
sending letters to the Secretary of State, media interviews, press conferences, and it was uh, very important to raise these issues. And I'm very proud of the work that myself and Michael Blooming Jr., who is also uh, a podcast guest here a couple of weeks ago, uh, the work that we did together to bring this bipartisan issue, nonpartisan issue rather, to the forefront. And there were small victories that we made along the way. I think one of them being that they, the Secretary of State did ultimately make one small change when it came to well, two small changes when it came to how they were processing and handling candidate qualifications. And that included moving from the qualification of having a wet signature, meaning it had to be original signature to a digital signature. There's still a lot of murkiness around what that means. And in fact, plenty of people across the state, just like my initial interpretation, uh, understood that to mean that they were accepting digital petitions, which of course, they are not. They still accept, expect you to uh, file all of your petitions, uh, you know, in paper, which still ends up complicating the process in so many different ways. And by the way, it, I realized too, the other change, the small change that they ended up making included that you could file or your paperwork or send it in via post instead of you know, hand delivery and stuff. And I just like, I laughed, like I laughed out loud, just the thought of what it would mean and how much space, like, you know, 5,000 petitions take up. And I have my buckets of, you know, petitions as well. Some of, you know, several thousand of which have been signed already, right? But we had all of the, you know, up to the amount that we would need and then some because you have to have more to because you know, up to 30% or even 60% in parts of the state are rejected. So you have to turn in more, right? It's it's like tubs. It's like, you know, three foot by four foot tub full of papers, right? So like, what are they talking about? Send it by post. Like, we're going to put it in a box or something. And I mean, it's just, you know, I think that the the practical implications of some of these things were very much overlooked when they made these rule changes. Similarly, like, oh, great. So it's not doesn't have to be original signature, but it can be a digital signature. And what does that mean? And how do you do it? it none of that was thought about, which is why our coalition, by the way, the candidate coalition had initially before our bed deadlines were advocating for deadline extension. And then once those deadlines came and went, then we said, hey, just cancel the whole thing. Cancel the qualifications for everybody. Cancel the, the petitions for everybody. Just put us all on the ballot. Let the chips fall where they may. Let the voters decide. And, you know, that didn't work either. And then actually we, based on negotiations with the Secretary of State, actually ended up saying, they said, okay, well, give us something, you know, concrete, Come essentially come back with an offer. So via the coalition, we came back with a modified offer that said, okay, go ahead and give us a 45-day extension on all deadlines for all candidates in all races, you know, from federal down to local level, and then a 70% reduction in fees and petition requirements. Once we sent that letter out, they stopped talking to us. And so that was a very big challenge for us. From there, then we started to get a handful of more people into the coalition, leading us up to the 50 folks, uh, 50 candidates who were there. And we had a handful of people who were really pushing, you know, to take the next step and take legal steps. And so we said, all right, we issued one final kind of letter and push to the governor and the secretary of state saying, hey, our coalition, we really mean business and we're going to work to take legal steps. 
Now, mind you, this was last week. (laughs) This is also why I haven't been recording as many podcasts, but um, this week is the official qualification week for congressional candidates in the state of Florida. Uh, April 20th to April 24th, we have to send in, either get our documentation in that we qualified via petition, which is a letter uh, and series of signatures that is verified by our local supervisors of elections in the counties that we are running in. And then our candidate oath or our money, we had to put $10,440, which by the way, across the country is the highest general qualification fee that anybody has to pay. The only people that have to pay more as congressional candidates to get on the ballot in the United States are Republicans in Arkansas. And so I think, I think Bill Clinton might've had something to do with that back in the day, but um, that's, that's the only place where that's more expensive. They have to pay $15,000. But everywhere else, the general qualification fee, uh, not, you know, irrespective of party, Florida takes the cake on it. So um, that being said, so we have, that's our qualification this week. That's what we have to do. And so most candidates like me, and we are focused on that. So we did this last ditch effort last week to bring to the attention, to try to push the hand of the secretary of state and the governor in Florida here to get us to, you know, give us some relief. We have an understanding that there was, problems and coronavirus and camp petition and everything and, you know, to reduce the amount. Um, so we were looking at the avenues for legal action and throughout the, how, how long have we been doing this now? Six weeks, seven weeks now, I've uh, been working uh, with building this coalition. I have been talking to various lawyers in different fields and trying to get some understanding of what we can do. And I ended up talking directly with five or six different lawyers and a couple of different organizations ultimately. And everybody ended up coming to the same kind of very, very sad conclusion, by the way. And that is, aside from the fact that the Supreme Court in the state of Florida had closed all courts that were you know, non-essential, non-emergency courts, there was that barrier as well which was the initial barrier where people, when I was talking to lawyers early on, they're like, well, how are we, there's no place to even file because everything is supposed to be closed. Um, and then what it came down to is that this was a statute decision in the state of Florida. And there's a large, a huge reluctance on behalf of the Supreme court to take on these kinds of cases. And, um, you know, we looked at some other avenues related to that. And there was a couple of things that we could have done legally to, you know, to kind of say, hey, we're here and try to push them into recognizing us and making, you know, making our voice heard. But with those options, we faced blowback. Essentially, if the lawyers are looking at it going, yeah, it's really unlikely uh, if not impossible for us to find a legal path here. But if we file something anyway, the state can come back and demand financial retribution to pay for their lawyers and their time if you essentially file something knowing that it's it's not going to go anywhere. And so that was something that was a risk that I didn't want to take personally. I didn't want to take on behalf of the coalition. I did not want to lead the other candidates down the path of potentially facing 
that backlash in their campaigns as well. Uh, the other thing that came out when I was speaking with our legal advisors around this was that it's just very limiting in terms of what you could actually do, which it seems kind of funny because a lot of people in the coalition, I spent a lot of time talking with candidates and, you know, the constitutionality and, you know, that the Supreme Court has already decided that uh, petitions must be reasonable and XYZ makes it unreasonable during coronavirus. But, um, you know, there are people who have like this rhetorical argument around it, but the, the, the minutia of the law really made it complicated for us to actually do something. And the best way for me to explain it and the way I've been explaining it to, you know, people in our coalition is that there's, because it was statute, there's very little that we can do against it because it has to essentially go through the legislative process to, to be changed. So there's possibility that we can continue this fight next leg legislative session. So stay tuned for that. But on top of that, um, because there's a state of emergency here in Florida, this kind of allows, you know, Governor DeSantis and the administration this kind of leeway to do things and make exceptions, right? And there's this kind of universe, this menu of opportunity where they can take actions that they see fit, right? It's supposed to free you up to do that. However, what you can't do. So basically it goes like this. If in the universe of opportunities, uh, you have all these things that you can do. And if you do one thing, then you can fight against that thing. You can say, Hey, you can't do that. Right. But in the universe of opportunity and things that you could do, you can't go after them for what they didn't do. Right. So basically they, we can't say, Hey, you didn't, give us this ball ballot, you know, relief, right? You didn't change the rules and in response to this, so we're going to come after you. They didn't change the rules because they didn't have to and there's nothing that compelled them to do so and so there's no essential legal recourse for us. Um so what I ended up doing so we were talking with everybody and and just really couldn't find a way. I sent an email to the coalition saying, hey, you know, thank you so much for running. Thank you so much for being part of this initiative where we're trying to ensure fairness and voter choice. Uh, but I wanted to let you know that we couldn't find a clear legal path. And there was nothing that I, I, I could in good conscience recommend to the coalition. And then I kind of put in parentheses saying, but if you have something you want to do, I am, you know, an enthusiastic supporter. Just in case there happened to be something that somebody overlooked, I wanted to leave that open. I just didn't happen to find it at the time. And so, and I encourage all the candidates to do what they need to do. Um, and, you know, that meant for the congressional candidates that they should go and try to put in their qualification papers and things like that. Um and then I thanked them and I said, you know, I, I was really proud of the work that we did together, that we did raise awareness to this issue, that we did have the win of a change that we can hope to continue on. That would be a big win, actually, in the state of Florida if candidates could, moving forward, continue to collect signatures digitally, especially if we have an entire campaign cycle to figure out how to do that. And... Um, but that it was also important that we showed that there is a capacity for bipartisan cooperation, even in these highly partisan times, and that 
now we have this network of candidates and concerned people across the state who are willing to keep an eye on this elections process. And I said, I hope that we can, I can call on you again if we need to, because it's a pretty big deal to have candidates all the way across the state, across the panhandle, all the way down through the keys, um, you know, coming together around this issue. So, you know, I was proud of that. I was proud of the work that we did together. I was proud that we were able to find this point of cooperation. And I do hope that we would, can continue to stand strong and make sure that we are ensuring that our government agencies here in the state of Florida are good stewards of our election process. Because for me personally, that was a big part of this issue was not only that it was, these are incredibly high barriers. They're incredibly unfair. They are way, way beyond what every other candidate in the whole entire United States has to do for the most part with very few exceptions. And it's clearly designed to be a process to keep people out. And, and I'll go into like how you actually have to qualify in a moment. Cause that's crazy too. But that I'm worried that if the state of Florida is willing to kind of just let these rules go, what is going to be next? What else are they going to let go in our elections process in the name of this emergency? And at least we have a group of people that we can leverage once again to to make sure that we're watching them as well. So that was the end of that road. And that's okay. You know, we put up the best battle that we could. And um, I am proud of that work and proud of the coalition. And I really hope that all of the candidates who are working to come online and come with us on this battle, I hope they'll be able to qualify. And I see Eddie's ready to call in. Let's go ahead and say hi to Eddie before I tell you about how weird it is to, to try and qualify in the state of Florida. Hello? Hello, Eddie, are you there? Can you hear me? Yes, can you hear me? Hear you. Oh, uh, yeah, I wanted to let you talk about the um, uh, the whole bad initiative before I jumped in. Uh, but I did want to make a comment on what you were saying yeah, about great. making sure we keep an eye on what people are doing in the emergency, because that's how Hungary just became essentially a dictatorship. Um, because Victor Orban uh, had Parliament go, okay, um, we're in an emergency now, so grant emergency powers and dissolve yourself. So Victor Orban is now a dictator in Hungary, essentially, because Parliament has been dissolved. So we really need to keep an eye on what politicians are doing right now in the name of the emergency. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for bringing that up. And you're you're 100 percent correct. And it's just, you know, to have a check on it, you know, and it's unfortunate that with this particular battle that we didn't have that legal recourse. But, you know, we were framing this, you know, as a, you know, a candidate issue, as a voter issue, as an elections issue. And as you know, we were hitting the media and the PR pretty good. And I will say that I think that we made some good headway on it. I think we really did. Now, of course, we would have loved to have had more of like what had happened in Vermont or New York, where the governor just said, yeah, of course. And here's some, you know, this is a a way to qualify to get on the ballot, given the circumstances. But 
you know, it, knowing that this battle was going to be hard in a Republican led state, knowing that they didn't really have the initiative to do it. The fact that they made any considerations was a big deal. But I think if one message comes out, it's just like you said, Eddie, that they know that we're here and we're watching and that we're not going to look the other way. And especially if you think about what's going on in Florida, all of the, the multitudes of, of terrible, terrible administrative mismanagement that the state of Florida has right now. You know, the unemployment situation just being the top issue that has been horribly mismanaged by the state of Florida, and which is consuming for a ton of people across the state. And, you know, they could very easily just kind of do that and then let all this other stuff slide. But we really need to take a stand on this and take a stand on elections all across the board. Um, and yeah, because we have been on an authoritarian slide and we do have a president that is very interested in seizing power. And we saw that today and late last night with the announcements around immigration. I mean, that's, and that's a whole nother issue that we can jump into as well. But the idea that and, and some of the best things I actually saw about this were memes saying, okay, now is this virus no big deal and we should just get back to work? Or is this virus such a big problem that we have to close the borders and stop all immigration? Because frankly, you can't have it both ways, right? Like these are two different paradigms driving two different actions. And essentially we have leadership across the, the country that is just willing to bend this narrative to whatever it is that they want to do. And so we do have to find the avenues to be able to fight this. And, you know, I will say specifically with the uh, candidate qualifications, we simply ran out of time. It was a time sensitive thing. And it was really like, for us congressional candidates, we had to do it and get on the ballot, or we lost our opportunity to do it. Um, but that doesn't mean that given another circumstance where we had a longer time frame and we were looking to to fight them, that we we wouldn't do it differently. I mean, I would take and if frankly, if it was like me as a personal citizen and not me as a candidate, because there's so many other rules and whatever going on being as a candidate. Um, I you know, there's there's other opportunities I think that we could have taken um, legally. Uh, you know, or I would have taken the risk of potential blowback on it. Um, and, you know, we, but we can still have this opportunity to continue to fight for our elections and fight for our process and keep these authoritarians from seizing more power. Yeah. Right, Eddie? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So that's that whole thing. So, let me tell you about qualifications, right? Um, so, Eddie, did you see all that? And have you been following who's been qualifying across the state of Florida? I have not seen who's qualified. I have been looking at FEC filings. <laughs> yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about this really super fun process in the state of Florida that's absolutely 100% clear and straightforward. Just kidding. It's not. It's like, it's so unbelievably ridiculous, convoluted. Um, and they, so, so this, they have it, this thing. So it is the petitions and then the money. So this week is basically you have to get all the, the, the paperwork in. 
the paperwork itself is, um, you know, not super complicated. It's a candidate oath and you have to get it notarized. Right. But again, we're in the age of coronavirus and, you know, doing things like getting things notarized is a little bit uh, more of a challenge with that, especially when you're somebody like me who has been in pretty strict uh, self-isolation to try and make sure that we're limiting our exposure to the pathogen, you know, to protect my young daughter's life in particular. Um, but uh Luckily, we were able to get that notarized, get that taken care of, and then we had to have the check, and they just put all this very overly convoluted language in the candidate handbook around it, uh, the types of checks you can and cannot have. And it said in the candidate handbook that you, could, you couldn't have it delivered to Tallahassee by a U.S. Postal Service, um, and it had to be commercial courier, right? But... Did that mean UPS? Did that mean, mm, who knows? Okay, again, it's it's a little bit complicated. And I was scared to death because I just led this, you know, 50 candidate coalition across the state of Florida that if I made one misstep, the, the Secretary of State, the Division of Elections was going to, you know, <laughs> bounce me. So I'm like, oh, no, oh, no. Uh, it, because it's really, it is really complicated. And then, of course, then there was this rule change. And the rule change said, okay, well, you can, you know, you can put it in earlier or something. I think the earlier was, you know, they started accepting it two weeks earlier. I don't know. Again, why have a can't, why have a qualification date that goes from April 20th to 24th, but that says that you can send it in up to two weeks earlier, but no earlier. Like it's, doesn't that make the qualification period then like April 6th to the April 24th? I just, it was like very complicated, but um, in a couple of the Florida politics articles about this, there were some really smug um, consultants, political consultants that are like, well, you should have taken these opportunities. And if you miss that 10 day window, you're, you're just a stupid idiot. And why are you running anyway? You know, like kind of condescending stuff, like, holy moly, unless you were like literally an insider who's done this a hundred times in the state of Florida and has some kind of inside track to the division of elections, which by the way, they change these stupid handbooks like every cycle anyway. So but unless you're somebody who's this kind of inside political, which not every single person in every campaign is and has, how the heck are you supposed to navigate this process? And I already said on previous podcasts, there are plenty of people who are seasoned politicians with seasoned teams who are leading front runners with buckets of cash who had said to me via email and via phone the wrong dates, <laughs> you know, like nobody, this was a very, very unclear process to know that you had to have it into the local uh, elections supervisor by March 23rd. That was like hidden in like another page somewhere else. Then that there was the state qualification that was April 20, 20th to 24th, but you could turn it in from April 6th. And again, this is like, you know, there's so many different dates purposefully. I feel like, trying to make it complicated so you would screw it up right and then it's like oh it's got to be in by noon not five <laughs> right that was into the supervisors of elections at the local ones the deadline was noon and people in the past had blew that because they thought it was 5 p.m right end of business or whatever so um 
Okay, so the reason that you couldn't send it by post, and this is, I will explain this to you because, again, I, I want people to understand how stupid this process is, like just how absolutely ludicrous it is, and how the state of Florida has continued to put in stupid barriers that make it really hard for people to to qualify. Again, so there's this noon versus 5 p.m. It's the, the 23rd, the 6th, the 20th, and the 24th, okay, all these random dates that they've put in so that it's really not straightforward as to what you have to do to get into the process. And the reason that they could not accept it via post, and it says something in the written handbook because we, we it's not like a post location. And like literally like the U S postal service delivers to almost every single location around the country, right? Like there's, you know, you could get a PO box, you can get all sorts of stuff to get, you know, to, to make sure that you are connected via us post. Tell me, how much sense it makes in the middle of Tallahassee, which is in the middle of the city and the capital of Florida, that they would specifically pick a location that didn't have a U.S. post box or access, right? Like, does that even make sense? Eddie, am I crazy and thinking of that? Like, that totally just sounds like the, the, the most asinine decision that you could make, right? The what do you think, like, hearing this? To litter, the, what I think is that they're purposefully trying to make it complicated for people to run. What I have realized uh, during all of this is that Florida essentially, it, it's, the, it's the equivalent of a poll tax for candidates. Yep. They are essentially trying to bar lower middle class candidates from running for office by putting all these incredibly ridiculous obstacles in your way yep. so that only insiders and elites are able to have the knowledge on what to do or pay their way to do it. Yep. It is ridiculous that middle and lower class people cannot run for office just because the state of Florida has crazy rules in place. It's yeah. it's just insane. Yeah. And now, frankly, I use the barometer of like how ridiculous things are is when it's like, I, I have a PhD, I have a doctorate. I've done a lot of stuff and like, I'm, I'm pretty street smart when it comes to things too. So I'm not just like a, an aloof academic, like in the ivory tower kind of thing. <sighs> but like when I look at something and I'm like, I have no idea how to navigate this. I felt that same way, by the way, with our healthcare system, right? You know, when I was looking uh, even before Obamacare and then as Obamacare came on um, and Obamacare did streamline it, by the way, a, a little bit <laughs> compared to, you know, slightly before that. But I'm like, how, how are, I have a PhD. I'm looking at this and my eyes are going cross. And by the way, a PhD and somebody who's also, you know, worked, you know, done, research on healthcare industries. It's not like I'm just in a totally different field either. It's, but how can I look at this and have no idea? It's because something must have been purposefully designed to be complicated. If somebody who is, you know, has a PhD, looks at it and has got no understanding of how to navigate it. Right. And I feel like this with this, this with this, you know, qualification thing as well. And for those of you who really want to see what the qualification box looks like, I did tweet it. You can find it at SWFL Mom 2020. You can see the picture because what we ended up doing is taking our qualification, notarized paperwork, and our check, um, sending it via FedEx to a courier in Tallahassee. That courier 
then hand delivered it to the office. Now, by the way, the Division of Elections office is also closed. Just saying. It's just, it's closed. So was somebody going to be there? We have no idea, right? What Was it going to be possible for this to be hand delivered? That was a whole nother, you know, freak out that I had this week. So anyway, the courier sent it and I'm like, you know, <laughs> texting them and trying to figure out what's going on. My team is trying to, you know, making sure that it's every step of the way that we're figuring out where this is. Um, and then so the, the courier gets there and they take a photo of the place and it's literally a slot and like a box or like a shoe or something like a shoe box or something inside this glass slot with a sign like one of the ones that you would get from like office depot or something with the like a little plastic stand-up sign with something that you know um somebody made on word with like a little outline and it said candidate qualifying drop box here and like an arrow and that's why they couldn't have the postal service doing because it's not like a place where, you know, you could get like secured communications, <laughs> like, you know, like a post box or something. It's a friggin box in a slot at an address. Like it's not, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so insane to me. It's so insane. And it's like, I'm glad that we went with the courier again. I couldn't imagine what is it? What would be there? What, why would, couldn't we send it? like a regular way um it's because they've made this little bizarre box so that i don't even know why they would do it again it's just a ridiculous um barrier but anyway so stupid long story short of like why fordo makes things more complicated than they do is there uh but they there was actually somebody on the inside of the building that was great that somebody took my paperwork and seemingly i got the right information in there and i am qualified Yay! <laughs> Qualified to get on the ballot for the primary. So that was a big deal. I'm glad I was able to do it. Um, and we got it. And it seems like no additional political rigmarole, as far as I can tell. <laughs> and I, I am legit. I'm bona fide now, Eddie. I'm bona fide. <laughs> Good. Great. There, how's the, have you been keeping up with the rest of the district? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's super side. fun, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we had just so far, and by the way, the, the qualification period ends uh, Friday, so we, there's more shenanigans to be had, for sure. It seems like all of the other, most of the other Republicans have qualified, even some people that were a little bit questionable. They were not sure if Darren Aquino, who hadn't put any money up yet, um was going to qualify or he had only a thousand bucks or something, whether or not he was going to be able to come up with it. Um, there's a couple of people who haven't got their filings in. Heather Fitzenhagen has not uh, last time I looked, which was a few hours ago. And, um, but everybody else had even again, like the some of the other last minute people, Christy McLaughlin, I think it's McLaughlin, um, Christy for Congress. Uh, which I feel like somebody had just told this chick to run so that they would confuse her with me. Um, Cause people, if they don't call me Cindy, they call me Christy. Um, but uh, she's apparently trying to um, advertise on Tinder or something, which again, I'm a little bit lost for words on that, but she somehow qualified and she had 10 grand in the bank that just she couldn't think of anything else to do with. So 
She's decided to run. Uh, she's legit. But then we also have um, some brand new Republican jumped in, a guy who is a, um, a Collier County Sheriff deputy. Never heard of him, uh, but he decided to run at the last minute. And then another guy who is a writing candidate. I don't even know how that's supposed to work, but he's, he's Patrick Post or something. I don't even know. I feel like I shouldn't even say these people's names. <laughs> but yeah, so that came in. There's somebody who knows, who knows who else is going to come in. But I will tell you one other interesting thing and that I am very um, – uh, much looking forward to how this shakes out. So again, there's been some Florida politics pieces following this, and uh, they're looking at you know how all these candidates are are qualifying or not in Florida 19. And Dane Eagle, who is the well, I don't even know what's called Golden Boy. I don't know. Um, I would say at this point, like the front runner. But now he doesn't have nearly as much money now that the Dunkin' Donuts dude is in. Um, and then Dr. Fig keeps just dumping all his, you know. Millions. All his, <laughs> all his wiener money in there. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. Um, but, yeah, I, I just, uh, you know, they have millions of dollars to their name, again, just to throw in. So, again, how can you compete? So, um but anyway, so Dean was the, he's the golden boy. I think he's the one that Trump is going to jump behind. He already was on Air Force One with Trump. So who knows? But um, the, uh, so he was trying to qualify by petition. Interestingly enough, he didn't say that he is intended to qualify by petition, but apparently he was trying to qualify by petition. He still put in a check because you can see all this in the state filings and the report. So he paid money. But he's not qualified because he was trying to qualify by petition. And apparently Dr. Fig was trying to qualify by petition too. Um, and he hasn't, he doesn't have enough. He only had 3,000 put in. Ooh. So, uh, you know, he's going to pay, I assume, but he hasn't paid yet. But Dane hadn't had any petitions that you could see, right? So, because you can look at the website and see how many petitions there are. So he said that he was pretty confident that he was going to qualify by petition, but he saved his bases by putting it, you know, putting in his check either way. So he's good either way. He's going to be on the ballot. So there's no controversy around that. But what I'm interested to see is how knowing that the Lee County Supervisors of Elections was closed, knowing that we couldn't even get a hold of somebody at the Collier County Supervisors of Elections. Um, how, and knowing, by the way, that I like literally out of all the events and all the stuff around, and maybe we're just going to different events, but um, I didn't see him, I didn't see anybody petitioning for Dane Eagle. I mean, I ran into Dr. Figg's people every yeah. time I've, you know, turned a corner. Right. Yeah. Um, but I didn't see anybody petitioning for Dane. So I don't know. I mean, and that's, I mean, they could have just sent it and stuff like that. So there's a lot of different ways to go about that, but I'm kind of interested to see what shenanigans might've been pulled at the, the, the local supervisors of elections as well, because right. if he's not got anything on there, what does that mean? Right. Yeah. Why are they not showing up? And uh, why is he boasting that he's going to qualify knowing that, 
like nobody could get into the office and they couldn't even give my team like, you know, clear direction on, on how to get, how to put, turn in our petitions. Right. So what kind of inside track did he have to be able to get that done during the coronavirus? So I'll be interested in that. Did anybody in the district actually qualify by petition? Nope. Really? Yeah, and last check, it was there was only three across the state. Wow. And maybe there's some numbers rolling in. I don't know. But with through the coalition, there was a couple people that were researching it, and yeah, they they saw that only three out of the 38 who had said they intended to qualify by petition had actually done so by the deadline. Wow. Right, right, which tells you that that's a barrier, <laughs> not a path, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right so that's that situation anyway we're all going to be on the ballot there's some speculation that i don't know i literally i don't know who else is, who could possibly run at this point aside from you know people who have already said no like kathleen pasadomo and cecil pendergrass have said no so i i mean aside from big name people like that i don't i have no idea who else might jump in but there's some people who say that there might be last minute people who just drop money to get in the race but I don't think any of them are going to be Democrats let's put it that way yeah <laughs> all right so let's um you know just talk a little bit you know because I put for today the Florida being Florida and then I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about things that were getting me down as a woman running uh in this race um but so Florida being Florida, so we see a lot of uh, funny things going on in the state of Florida, both funny haha and like funny, you know, like being a Trump crony, not so haha. Um, but uh, so some beaches are opening. We saw that the Jacksonville Beach opened and then everybody came out and, you know, as and, and whether or not that's a good idea. Some other beaches, Marco beaches open. There's a handful of others as well. And I don't, I'm having a hard time understanding why we had a stay at home order or kind of order or whatever, a safer at home, not executive order or whatever. Governor DeSantis ended up backpedaling and calling it afterwards. But I'm not sure why we had that thing. And then now before that 30 days is even up, we've decided to just (laughs) do something different. Like it seems so bizarre to me. I don't know. What do you think, Eddie? Uh, I don't even know. I am not surprised, but also it's just ridiculous because you know, I know that nobody else around the world is doing this. And then we have, the Floridas and Georgias of the country going, oh, let's open everything back up. Meanwhile, the rest of the world looks at us going, what? what's wrong with, what's wrong with them? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just nobody else is doing this. Well, sorry, let me rephrase that. Anybody who's actually taking the coronavirus seriously, excluding the Turkmenistans of the world who banned the use of the word coronavirus. In oh, their, that's one way to uh, stop it. Like climate change in Florida. Oh, yeah, pretty much. Um, you don't have coronavirus if um, you don't have coronavirus if you pretend it, can't doesn't, say it exist. doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Just like Rick Scott. Yeah. <laughs> you can't, there's no climate change if you can't say it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, I, or was it, it was global warming either way. Anyway, so he, he banned the use of those, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit strange. And I still, you know, I, this was the topic of my wine time last week. Uh, you can check it out, but it was, I, I'm feeling like the, the figures coming out of Florida are very unreliable. They're playing around with the numbers. I'm, you know, they haven't been forthcoming about, you know, the deaths and the hospitalizations um, from the long-term care facilities. Um, I just, I'm, I'm feeling very unconfident, you know, of those numbers. And so saying that we're flattening the curve and we're doing a good job is like, you know, again, like, you know, Trump saying that he's, he's the best. And, you know, it's just like, yeah, you know, on what metric, you know, the metric in your head that you're counting on. Um, (laughs) But so, so Florida being Florida, the other thing that about Florida being Florida right now is that we've just had this total, total shit show with the, the DEO unemployment website. I don't even know if we're on like number two or number three, but it seems also that there are people who had applied in like from mid-March to the beginning of April, their, their applications have been sucked into a black hole because there are people who applied afterwards and got processed and before and got processed. And so that was something that Dave Elias here on NBC two was investigating further. Um, And, you know, just, just keeping people at bay here has been really, really crazy. What are you doing? Are you like playing jacks? Cause that's what it sounds like, Eddie. Oh, sorry. No, Uh, I'm like, (laughs) things are falling off of my, desk as I accidentally <laughs> knocked them. Um, it just, and I'm like trying to sorry. It sounds like that. light shuffling and I'm like it sounded like Jax because I couldn't imagine what oh was God. going on. Yeah, no, I okay. knocked like a bunch of pens off of my desk as I turned my chair. Nice. Good work. Yeah, Good great, work. Yeah. Yep, that's how today's going. Yeah, no, tell me about it. Yeah. Today <laughs> has been today has been a thing. It's so, you know, I would say, so let me turn now to the last bit and like really the thing that compelled me to get on this microphone today, to be honest, um, was just how crappy it is sometimes to be a woman as a candidate. Um, and let me just talk about that. Not to say that I'm, you know, I'm ready to throw it in. Obviously not. I'm super excited that I qualified not to say that there's anything wrong with being a woman. Obviously not. I'm a woman. I'm pretty, I'm pretty comfortable and happy with that, but there are so many things that you have to go through as a woman and a candidate that I swear no men ever, ever have to deal with. And, you know, you know, I think about it too, in terms of like dealing with trolls, right? So, you know, social media, you get people saying things, you know, you expect your adversaries to not say things that are nice about you, right? You expect people who don't like you to not say things that are nice about you or not be supportive, right? Trolls and people say stuff. You're prepared for that. You really are. What has been a really, really challenging thing for me to deal with is when people who are supporters or kind of supporters or they really like me or whatever, and they're, they're cloaking themselves in this kind of like supportive role when they come and they say things to me that are so out of line and so 
insensitive and inappropriate and sexist. I just, I am beside myself when this happens and it happens more than I think people would believe. I mean, almost a a day doesn't go by where somebody doesn't say something to me. And I cannot, I cannot believe that other, that male candidates, that this happens. I just don't, I don't think I've never seen it. I have never seen anybody critique a male candidate in, in person or on the phone or, you know, anything like that. It's so strange to me. Um, you know, and this is something that as women, as women, you, you kind of get used to, um, you know, everything from mansplaining to, you know, being stopped in the grocery store and told how to parent your kids. Like these are things we get used to because everybody, and this is what's so hard to explain when you are not a woman (laughs) or, or a mom, even for that matter is like, especially when you become a mom, like you suddenly everybody um, feels they have the right to come and tell you things and give you advice. Um, And it's infuriating, right? Like nobody, I didn't ask for advice. And I mean, God, even in like the business world, like, you know, you, you can accept coaching and, and I'll tell you this as somebody who like truly believes in critical feedback. um, I like to have critical feedback. I, I think it's valuable, that's why I'm an evaluator. Like I live in this space where we can be adaptable and take in, but you have to be able to hear it. And again, and I think that's why it's so hard when people are, you know, pretending or not pretending, purporting to be your supporters and they say things to you completely unsolicited. Okay. Um, You know, I've had so many experiences like this, including, you know, I go back, way back even to my campaign kickoff in November when I had a man who I never met came and he was like, I'm such a big supporter. I'm really happy to be here. I'm like, Oh, great. Thanks. You know, shaking hands and whatever, like we used to before coronavirus. And, um, and then he gets in my face, gets in my face. And he's like, are you ready to say goodbye to your family? three years of your life. He's like, you better get ready. And I'm like, Oh my God, get, uh, get what? out of my face. Yes. Get out of my face. And he just, and he was like holding on my hand. He was getting my face and he's like, you got to get ready. You got to get, t-. he's just like all this stuff. It was like, but it was so super aggressive. Right. And I'm just like, Oh, oh my God. Like what? Yeah, no, I'm cool. Like I'm going to be all right. You know, mm-hmm. but so I've had that. I've had, people in, you know, other campaign events. And the weird part about it, I will say is so that, that one happened to be a guy, but I will say that especially now in this kind of like me too era, um, there's a lot of men who are a a lot more sensitive to this kind of stuff. So they, a lot of them, if they're trying to be kind or conscientious, they're going to err on the side of shutting up, which is lovely. (laughs) Frankly, (laughs) if they do, right. If they're, like I said, if they're, cognizant of it right um but the other surprising part about it is the women like women coming up to me and i will tell you just being honest from the observational data that i have it is older women you know um and they carry with them the sexism they carry with them the rubric of what a good leader is and what a good leader looks like and what they think a woman 
needs to look like, needs to act like in order to be successful. And the bizarre thing is, is they have come on so many circumstances and told me this. Or they ask things that are very, very sexist in nature. Like, well, who's going to take care of your kids? And what's going to happen then? You know? Um, And it's, uh, it's very, it's just very disheartening, you know, because again, nobody asks, got met male candidates this, this question. Nobody asks, you know, anybody else in this race where their kids are and who's taking care of their kids. You know, why, why is it just, I'm the only one. And the funny thing is, even in this kind of era of, coronavirus to now where everybody's at home, you know, and I'm always like, Hey, welcome to my world friends. So where I had been kind of criticized in the past, right. For having my kids around, even though, by the way, I've always been a proponent of like bringing my kids around and not caring and, you know, saying, you know, kind of holding that space for being a woman and being a mom. And yeah, here are my kids and it doesn't make me uncomfortable. Sorry. You know, and I've always been somebody who's done that. Um, but now now more people have to live in that same space with me. And uh, they feel embarrassed about it. And what I really hope they're embarrassed about is how poorly they often treated me or how short they were with me when I was trying to work from home and having small children around um, and what that means. But it's funny because I um, have people say things like that to me all the time. Um, I've had people critique my hair and my dress, and the shoes I wear, and how I sat. Um, And today was some unsolicited feedback that I got um, that really just, gosh, it really got to me today, Eddie. And it's funny, Eddie, you've known me for for many years now. Like, how how many times do I get this kind of, like, broken down feeling? Almost never. Yeah, almost never, right? (laughs) Like, you know, I'm pretty, like, you bounce right off me, right? But again, coming from people who are supporters, it's just like, man, like why, you know, and this particular supporter started off and like, we're having this really great conversation. And it's almost like when we get this kind of great rapport going on, that's when people are like, great, this is a perfect opportunity for me to tell you what I think and what I think you need to to do. And it's not about policy. It's never about policy, Eddie. It's never, ever, ever about policy ever it's ooh, your shoes your heels were too high that time or you know make sure that you're sitting with your shoulders squared up you know i mean like what okay you know what i mean and but today's you know commentary was oh it was great and, and i think and again it was very shocking when it's people that you expect you're, you're getting this kind of like positive feedback from and then they kind of put the brakes on and are like, Oh, well, but here's, here's all my, here's all the feedback of like where I think you should be doing better. Right. And I'm just like, yeah. Oh my God, literally how many other congressional candidates call and get this said to them? I don't, I don't think other people experience this in the same way. It's because I'm younger and it's because I'm a woman and the kids are like, Oh, the your kids are there and it's cute. But like, it seems like you got a lot going on. I'm like, uh huh. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Still killing it, though, right? Um, and on top of that, 
you know, there was the thing that I'm trying to think of how to describe this in the most succinct way. Right. But the criticism today was that I was not being serious enough. And it's so it's so bizarre because this is, again, the this line that women have to walk as professionals and as candidates, right? There's this bizarre likability thing, right? So you have to be likable, right? So you have to be approachable and charismatic and, you know, this kind of stuff, right? But you can't be too likable, right? You can't be too likable because then then it's it's too much, right? And you have to be serious, but you can't be too serious, you know? And it's it's so exhausting to to keep walking that line, you know? And my personality, and Eddie, you've seen this, you know, being in my classes, is that I right. I, I try to be funny. That's it's a coping mechanism for me. Uh, I think I am pretty funny. I you know, um, I have some hilarious anecdotes. I try to keep it a little bit light because if we get as heavy, and this is just my feeling on it, if we get so heavy on all these issues, right? the weight of it all will drag us down. Yes. You know? And so I try to kind of bring levity to the situation because we got to keep moving on. Right. And that's my, that is very much my personality. And maybe that's why this kind of like particularly stung me so much, you know, cause I will laugh. Listen, I mean, I, I was laughing to get through major tragedies in my life, you know? So it's just, it just is what it is, right? I'm not a stoic person <laughs> like that, you know? I'm the one, I'm rolling with the punches. I'm go, 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 right? Um, but yeah, so the, the, the criticism was that I, yeah, I was, I was smiling too much. And I was laughing too much. In, seriously? Yeah, seriously. Oh my God. It was, um, and they're like, well, you got to be more serious about stuff. I'm like, listen, <laughs> like literally written books about this and I can go on and on and on. But the, the point being is people don't really actually like that. Like they don't want you to go on and on about policy and boring stuff. They really don't. They want you to be straight, succinct to the point, strong, but likable enough that they, they'll, they'll listen to you. Right. And so I try very hard to walk that line and it's a very hard line. Um, but it's just, it's when somebody's criticizing you and, going and saying, Oh, well, you're, you're not quite this serious enough. I also think by the way, that particularly with older generations and older generations of women, they have, they're not quite in the same like 1950s sex role kind of thing, like the way that it used to be, but they still have a framework that they're, they're working off of for, for women leaders and candidates that is in my opinion, out of date. Right. Right. And that is that rubric of understanding that, oh, you have to be uh, strong like a man. You have to um, you can be a little bit feminine, but you still have to. It's still pantsuits and, you know, shoulder pads. And you can't really be a mom. You you can't be a mom. Not like really. You can be like, I'm a mom. I got kids. They're they're over there or something. Right. Like you can be that kind of mom or grandma and like. I'm thinking of Nancy Pelosi and, you know, like, but it's not like you're seeing kids hanging off Nancy Pelosi all the time. Right. Uh, but they've compartmentalized it and they've, they've, you know, masculinized parts of their identity because 
that's how, you know, essentially the older Gen X and the baby boomer generation needed to bring women to be in order to have them, you know, have leadership positions, but they've kind of built this, this requirement around it. You gotta be, you still gotta be the nine to fiver. You still gotta, you know, you have to have this strong thing. You can be feminine, but not too sexy, you know, and you, you know, definitely can't be a mom. Oh my God. Cause then you're just a disaster. Right. Um, and that's, but I think that's what I'm feeling. I get that feeling from, from that generation of women who want me to be successful. They see me and they get excited about me. And that's what was so deflating. They're like, Oh, you're great. You're doing this. And you say all this amazing stuff and you sound really smart and you got this PhD, but then you're smiling and you're like joking and having a good time. And it just, it seems really, you know, contradictory. And I'm like, wait a second. Like what happened to that whole, that good stuff? Like how is me being personable and like a, you know, in a live session, like, how is that a bad thing? Right. Um, and I'm not to say that I, there's not, you know, space for improvement in, you know, my communication style. I absolutely believe that there is, but you got to be ready and willing to take that. Or you get that from people who are your trusted sources, like getting it launched at you in the middle of a campaign call kind of thing. is like, Oh my God. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for that. You know, um, but I do want to push back on a lot of those items too. Like, no, I, my kids are going to be around and you know what? Um, they're there. And when they're there, they're doing their thing and I'm doing my thing. Sometimes I'm going to have to give them a little bit of attention, but that's the way it, it's going to work. And like I said, everybody sitting at home and during coronavirus are, are, you know, they're seeing it too. Welcome friends, you know? Um, but you know, to say that I'm just going to pretend like they don't exist or even just to question it too, right? Like, no, they're going to, they're going to be taken care of one way or the other. Like it's really none of your business. <laughs> you know what happens with my kids? They're here. They're, you know, they're, they, you know, I, I welcome them into my space and my world, but like, I don't owe anybody a justification of, of what, you know, what I'm going to do with them. Nobody asks male candidates this question ever. Um, and, you know, and again, what, what I do with them when we move to DC, well, that's going to be a decision that me and my family would make, you know, and, and again, none, ya, none, your business, y'all, <laughs> you know, we're going to sort it out how it needs to be sorted out. But in the meantime, you know, go ask Dane Eagle what he's going to do with his brand new baby, which in my opinion, Addie, he really should just have canceled his campaign, you know, cause he's going to be a new father. He's going to have a lot of new responsibilities, yeah. you know? got to take that in consideration right right <laughs> which is exactly what everybody would tell be telling me if i was pregnant right now mm-hmm. um but yes and so and the, the smiling and the being happy thing i just don't even know about that i don't know eddie what do you think am i am i being is that striking you as odd or what's striking me as odd is the person who told you this because um, what the hell is wrong with him? Um, I just, I can't wrap my head around it because, you know, Theresa May and Hillary Clinton are too robotic and, I don't know, you're smiling too much. I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. It's stupid. Um, that is like the most ridiculous, benign criticism. It's not even a criticism. It's just someone's opinion and their opinion's wrong. Yeah. But 
you, you know, know, I tr- I try to hold space for where people are, right? And like, I don't, you know, they're not the people who are saying these things. I don't think any of them had malicious intent. And in fact, quite the opposite, right? But again, that in and of itself is a, is a form of sexism, right? And ageism, right? Thinking that that I I need this help, right? And they're they're seeing me. But the thing is, is like you look at all the other candidates. There's not not a single one of them out here that's doing everything 100 percent right, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I look at the, my competitor's speeches and what they say and they do. And I look, I'm like, "Hmm, could do that better. Could do that better. Oh, look, you're standing funny there. Or you got a weird angle or, you know, you're really stammering there or you're talking in circles. And the fact of the matter is, is that all of those criticisms we all face. Right. And we can all use improvement around it. But again, it's who's gets it, who gets it said to them into their face in an intimate ways like this uh, by random people and who doesn't, <laughs> you know? And I just, I, I think that women get this kind of ultra criticism all the time. Um, and, you know, today it was just one of the ones where I was just like, Oh, you know, I just can't, I can't, I, I, I'm having a hard time with this today. Having a hard time because I, I feel like, it's not, and again, we're all in these extenuating circumstances. And frankly, I think that my online, you know, digital campaigning is killing it by comparison right now. Um, and, you know, to have it kind of come down to this, like, this look. The other thing that I was thinking of before I just wrap this, because I've been talking about this for a while, too. But it reminds me of uh, Jennifer Granholm. And um, Jennifer Granholm, for those of you that don't don't know, uh, was a former governor of Michigan. She was a blonde woman. She was, you know, fit. She was good looking. She was smart. And she was strong. And what ended up happening is she, early on in her political career, she had kind of long hair and she had this very feminine look. And she was getting criticized for it, for being too beautiful. And it was, you know, oh, you're too beautiful. You're, you know, you gotta, you, you've got to be stronger in your look, right? And so she had consultants, from what I understand, that told her to cut her hair. And she wears her hair, you know, pixie length to this day in response to that. And apparently as soon as she did that, suddenly everybody took her a heck of a lot more serious. It's so strange to me to think about that. And I know that that's, a true scenario. And that's exactly what happened. Again, I think this is that older like rubric of understanding for women. And there's this expectation that you have to, you can't be too feminine to be taken serious. And, um, but it makes me so sad. <laughs> it makes me so sad to think about that because, you know, there's all, there's a whole bunch that's wrapped up into that, but that somebody who is, you know, beautiful and strong and smart, as a candidate can't be all of those things and be considered to be strong and successful at the same time. And it's, it just shows you that kind of, you know, that insurmountable wall that women face when it comes to these leadership positions, you're either too much of this or not enough of that. And then if you change, can you find that sweet spot? Who knows? Right. And I don't even know what my sweet spot would be, to be honest, you know, I, I feel like I'm always trying to, to, you know, I want to look nice, 
you know, to kind of take off some of my rough edges. <laughs> you know, if, you, if everybody saw me in my house with my hair up and no makeup and hitting the, the boxing bag in the garage, they would have a little different image of me, <laughs> you know. Same thing as if, like, they saw me cooking dinner in my sweatpants, right? Like, that's another image. That's a real image. But, you know, it's it's just, it's so disheartening when you have to, spend time and energy as a candidate thinking about these things because Lord knows most of the men don't. I, I think that um, aside from his hot blue chinos that David Holden doesn't have, but two or three shirt combinations that he wears out in public, not put makeup on, not doing his hair. He's not wrangling kids and nobody's asking him about anything to do with all that. And that's extra time and energy that he gets to think about other stuff. And that's a shame. Right, Eddie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Although you can question if he actually is thinking about anything. Ah, that's a good point. But let's not. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're too far into the night here to dive into that part of the pod, uh, into yeah. our uh, thoughts. But anyway, I am going to go ahead and wrap for this evening. Thank you for listening to what ends up being a very, very long uh, diatribe with me here tonight. But I would love to have your support. And by the way, I would um, want to pitch. We have some really great No Dem Left Behind uh, virtual town halls coming up tomorrow. If I get this posted out, I might get it in time. But we have Katie Hill hosting a town hall for us. And if you missed the live recording, then go ahead and check out the, uh, the, the recorded version. She's going to be hosting for our No Down Left Behind. You can find out more about that at nodownleftbehind.com. You can find out more about all of my events and things going on with me at cindybanier.com. You can email me at vote at cindybanier.com, or you could call or text me at 239-351-5574. I really love connecting with constituents, and I love hearing what's important to you in our community so I can really cultivate that knowledge base to be the best servant leader I can be. And thank you so much, Eddie, for being with me and dialoguing with me tonight. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And hope everybody is doing well across the state of Florida and the United States and the whole world. And I want to send out one last positive vibe to everyone to know that we have a very amazing and unique opportunity here to revision our world to be the better place that we always imagined it could be. And I hope that that is something you can think about moving forward. It's certainly something I'm going to be thinking about and that we can fill that space with love and light and hope for the future. So thanks for being with me here tonight and we'll see you another time on Dr. Cindy Speaks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dr. Cindy Speaks. If you'd like to learn more about her campaign, go to cindybanyay.com or connect with her directly at vote at cindybanyay.com. We love connecting with people. Contents of this podcast are paid for and approved by friends of Sandy Banyay.